Hey, you are tuned into the Bold Church podcast. My name is Yasmin Ruhi. I am one of the lead pastors here. We're so excited that you can join us for today's talk. We hope it blesses you. We hope it encourages you. And if you find it useful, go ahead and send it to someone else whose day you can bless. If you want to join us, we meet live every Sunday morning. If you want to find out our times or where we're meeting, head to our website at bold.church or head to our Instagram at boldchurch. SV. Thank you so much and enjoy today's talk. Good morning, good morning. Who's excited for church? Come on. It's 11 a.m. Should have had at least two cups of coffee. Can we do that one more time? Who is excited for church? If uh, we have not met, my name is Ali and my beautiful wife and I, we started this place called Bold four years ago with a simple dream. We wanted to create a place where not only Christians could come and grow in their faith, but listen, unchurched people. If you're new here, we, we created every element of our worship experience with you in mind. It's a place where you can come and explore faith. And uh, before I jump into the sermon, I got two quick announcements. Number one, the first one is Vision Builders Gala. Come on, who's excited for Gala? For those of you that are, are new to our faith community, every year we have this event where we dress up to a T, black tie, tuxedo, we look fresh for Jesus, and because uh, sometimes we pause, and we want to celebrate what God did, and then we want to look forward to what God's going to do, and there's not enough time to do that on a Sunday, so we're giving you a $100 meal for like 50 bucks. You're welcome, and it's an opportunity for you to hear a fresh vision of where God's taking us as a faith community it happens once a year. There are some things that I share on that night. It's like a state of the union address that I don't share on Sundays. And it won't be online. So you want to be in on the room on that. Of course, the big things on Sunday, I'll share next Sunday, which is we're going to do a collection talk called Vision Builders. It's going to be awesome, three weeks. And the next announcement, real quick, before we jump in is... Uh, growth track. For those of you that have been coming for a while and you want to make this church your home on November 22nd, we do this once a month. We gather over a meal. My wife and I teach a class called Growth Track. It's designed with you in mind. It's the only class in this church where you're the, the main person. Where it's about you, helping you discover your why. Because the two best days of your life that you're, are the day you're born and the day you discover your why. And that class is designed to help you discover your why. But can we conclude this collection of talks? You guys ready for the word? Yeah. Come on. I, for the last three or four weeks, I've been teaching very methodically. I want to yell today. Can I do that? Can I get a, a little bit Pentecostal on you? I want to preach. I want to I be emotive today. I want to yell a little bit and, 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 and encourage you with a, a very short story. But if you allow it, it will change your life. Uh, we're in a collection of talks called We Are Bold, and it's really about sharing with you the, the, the what we value determines what we do. And so often we talk about the what, the what, the, I want to talk about the why. Why do we do the things that we do? And this is what this collection of talks, we talk about week one was generosity is our goal, then honor is our heart, then Jesus is our joy, then servant spirit is our heart. And then two weeks ago, I preached probably the hardest message I've preached in a long time. People are our priority, preached about hell. I'm shocked that all of you came back. Thank you. Today's a good one, though. Today's the foundation. And I'm going to go to John chapter 2. When you see on the screen, someone shout amen. amen. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, a woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the, prep, for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. But when people have drunk freely, a.k.a. they're drunk, come on, then you serve the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs. Someone say sign. 
Jesus did at Cana and Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed. And I want to read you one of our mottos around this theme, uh, which is our core value today we're talking about is faith is our focus. Let me read you this, this, this catchphrase. We know that is, without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's why we live by faith and not by sight. What are we as a church? As God's church, we, faith is our focus. We are faith-filled, big-thinking, bet-the-farm risk-takers. We will never insult God, God with small thinking and small living. Y'all ready? Y'all ready to be changed? Let's pray. Jesus, big, long prayer. Help me preach this. And everybody said... Everybody say, come on, customary to get excited before we preach God's word. Can we give Jesus a round of applause? Question for you this morning. Who, for those of you that are honest, I know we're in church. Who struggles with FOMO? Anybody know what FOMO is? It's right on the screen. FOMO is the fear of missing out. It's been there since the beginning of time, but social media has amplified this anxiety. That I didn't know my life sucked until I saw how awesome yours is. You're at Disneyland, you got a Tesla, you're bought. I'm in my Corolla changing diapers. My life sucks. And when I see yours, I have this fear like my life's not as cool as yours. And I, I don't really struggle with FOMO. I struggle with this other thing. I think we don't talk about it enough. It's foro, the fear of running out. We, the headlines are FOMO. We talk about it on social media, but no one calls their pastor until they struggle with this one. Uh, personally, in my life, I, I struggle with foro a lot. I got to write a sermon that's creative, that's engaging, that's funny. I got to tell you things you already know, and I got six days to do it. <laughs> Pray for me. Because there are times I'm reading the word of God. I'm like, how am I going to pull something out that's going to be engaging? You, some of you come in here expecting a four-course meal, and if I serve you a cheese sandwich, you're going to leave and never come back. And the average TED Talk, the, the speakers have six months to prepare. They, 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 they give it 10 times, they get feedback from the TED Talk people, and then they give it for 20 minutes and they're done, they're done. I got six days. And th there's a fear that I won't be creative for you. And it's this pressure. I got, and there are times, literally, on Thursday night, my wife's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I can't think. I can't even hang out with my, because I feel this pressure. I got to write a sermon and I'm not done. I'm afraid of running out of time with my kids. I look at pictures from a year ago, just listening to them talk, they sound different. The clothes that my, my younger daughter's wearing is the clothes that my older daughter was wearing last year. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're growing up. So I'm, I'm afraid of running out of time. I'm afraid of running out of money. I, I, I'm more wealthy than I am when I was 22, but I, it's crazy. The more money you get, the greater the obligation. You would think, I have more money, I wouldn't fear less. It's the opposite. Now you got to maintain this lifestyle. We, we celebrate, we talk about FOMO, but no one calls their pastor when they have FOMO. You know when you call me? It's when you have FORO. You don't call it that, but I know that's what you're struggling with. And uh, Let me give you an example. Single people, you may freak out when your friends go to Disneyland, and, and you're like, oh my gosh, I, I want to do Spartan Race with you. And, but you know when you call me? When you're 30 and all your friends are getting married, and you're afraid you're the last one getting married. You're afraid of running out of time. You, you may have two kids and life's diapers and formula and, oh, my gosh, all my friends are, especially the dinks, dual income, no kids. I hate those people. <laughs> they, they don't spend money on diapers and four. They're, they're balling. <laughs> Three vacations a year. They loved COVID. I hated COVID. <laughs> no one calls me when they're like, oh, my gosh, all I do is change. You know when they call me? When married couples are trying for a kid and they're afraid of running out of time. We, we talk about fo FOMO, but FORO is what messes with us. FORO is what gives us anxiety. It's the fear of running out of time to find a spouse, running out of time to, to make a baby, running out of time to start a business, running out of time to change careers, running out of time to buy a home. We, str we talk about FOMO, but most of us in this room, if we're honest, we, we struggle with FORO. Let me give you the thesis, the big idea for today. FORO is rooted in a lack of faith that God was going to provide. Let me just give you the tagline. You have fear because you don't trust God. And what I got some good news. I got some bad news. The good news is foro goes away when you get a revelation of who God is. Let me show you in John chapter 2, verses 9. It says, this is the first sign. Someone say sign. God doesn't want to give you a miracle. He wants to give you a sign. Because signs are greater than miracles. Because let's say you're struggling with bankruptcy. God could drop $10,000 in your, in your bank account, but you don't change. 
See, miracles may change your circumstance. Signs change you. Miracles are about things in your hand. Signs are about someone in your heart. Miracles give you something to, to, to hope in. Signs give you a person to hope in. And God doesn't want to give you a miracle. He wants to give you a sign. And this is how Pharaoh goes away. You get a revelation of he's the God that provides. In the Old Testament, God would often reveal an aspect of his character. He's Jehovah Rapha. I'm the God that heals. I'm Jehovah Jireh. I'm the God that provides. And here is God in the flesh, Jesus, knowing his people struggle with the fear of running out. But the prerequisite, listen, the prerequisite for your sign is your greatest fear has to happen. You have to run out when you don't have what it takes to fill up the resources. You don't have what it takes to find the spouse. You don't have what it takes to make a baby. You don't have what it takes to start a new career. It's when you hit rock bottom that you realize Jesus is the rock at the bottom. You don't, you don't need a healer unless you're sick. You don't need Jesus to be your resurrector until your marriage is dead. You don't need God to provide until you run out. The fear of running out. And this is why your focus can't be on your resources, can't be on you, can't be on me, myself, and I. It has to be faith is your focus. Someone say faith. faith. Let me give you a definition of what faith is. Faith is this. Faith is seeing things from God's point of view. It's the simplest, best definition. Seeing things from God's point of view. Let me tell you what faith is not. Faith is not a desire. It's not a wish, a hope, a prayer. It's not something you crave. Faith isn't pretending something's true that's not. Can't eat McDonald's and say, God bless us with my body. Come on. <laughs> Does not work that way. You can't, you can't want something that isn't true and say, Oh, I have faith. That, that, that's presumption. Faith is not a feeling, although it has feelings. Sometimes feelings get in the way of what God wants to show you. Faith is not a, a bargaining chip with God. God, if you do this, then I'll do that. Faith is a way of seeing. Some of you get overwhelmed when you see your lack, God gets excited when He sees your lack. Because your whole life, you've built your, your entire life on you providing your resources, your creativity. God wants you to hit the rock bottom. And you realize he's the one that's going to fill it. Yeah. And he doesn't do that with a miracle. He does that with a sign. Yeah, Let me show you where faith comes from. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith, someone say faith, faith. comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. God wants to give you faith this morning. God wants faith to be your focus. And it is impossible to please God without faith. And Hebrews chapter 11 says this, now faith, someone say faith, faith, is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Sometimes to see what God sees, you know what you have to do? You have to close your eyes. Because you're living your life by sight. God wants you to live your life by faith. And when you have your eyes open, all you see is the lack. All you see is what you don't have. All you see is the kid that you want that's not there. The spouse that you're longing for that's not sitting next to you. And when you close your eyes and allow God to show you through faith, someone say faith. faith. That becomes your focus. And what I want to do this morning is I want to just do a short little Bible study. You guys ready for this? Kind of just yell at you for 30 minutes and then send you out in Jesus' name. <laughs> in John chapter 2, it says, on the third day, someone say third day. There was a wedding at Cana and Galilee. Let me just pause right there and tell you why that is so significant. In the, the, the original authors of the scriptures did not put chapters. The, the, the chapters were added in the 1200s. The verses were added in the 1500s. When the original author wrote, it was one long letter. The third day doesn't make sense unless you know what happens on day one and day two. Jesus is a, a, is a carpenter. He's a blue-collar worker. He was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Nazareth. Nazareth is like Stockton. Like drug dealers live there, okay? I don't know why Jesus is living in the Jewish version of, of Stockton. And this man spent the first 30 years of his life in relative obscurity. At the age of 30, he comes to the Jordan River, and his, his cousin, John the Baptist, baptizes him in the Jordan River. And the, the heavens open up, and God the Father says, This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And the Bible says on the next day, someone say the next day, Jesus is walking by and John the Baptist goes, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And two of John the Baptist's disciples, Peter and Andrew, leave John the Baptist and they follow Jesus. And the Bible says again on the next day, someone say the next day, Jesus meets a dude named Philip. Jesus tells him he's the Messiah. His mind gets blown. He finds his brother named Philip. Now Philip, Nathaniel, Andrew, and Peter, Jesus has four disciples. He's only known these guys for three days. Let me tell you why that's significant. 
Because it says, and his mother, Jesus, was there at a wedding. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his, he's only known these guys for three days, and he brings them to a wedding they were never invited to. This is how I know the Bible's real. Because if someone in this room did that, they would die on entrance, right? <laughs> I, I remember when my wife and I planned our wedding, every seat had a dollar tag associated. Oh my gosh, $150 per seat. We can't possibly invite. My mom wanted to invite like 200 people. I'm like, mom, unless you're paying, they're not coming, Right? And this is why married couple, I, I did catering in college for like two years. I did like 30, 40 weddings. I would see the bride lose their mind when they invite someone and they didn't show up. Because like, oh my gosh, that's like $400. Ugh. <laughs> Jesus brought four dudes who never got the invitation. And he bring, this is not just the Savior. This dude is savage. <laughs> but you got to understand, you won't understand Jewish weddings unless you understand Jewish culture. This is not an American wedding where you show up for three hours and like go home, right? These are three-day events. This was like a, a week-long party. And some of you, your mind is going to get blown because before EDM and Burning Man, your Jesus partied for three days. Come on. Long before those guys were doing week-long parties, your Savior was partying for a week. Now, it's very, some of you are taking shots every day. Jesus was not doing that, okay? He went with intention. He, he, Jesus went to, to bring people to the kingdom of heaven. And some of you need to realize just this one sentence alone shatters everyone's myth about who God is. Because in this culture, there are two schools of thought, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What's the difference? Pharisees believe in the resurrection. Sadducees are sad. They don't believe in the resurrection. That's how I remember it. <laughs> the Pharisees, though, they don't hang out with people. They want to live a pure, holy lifestyle. They're paid to be good. They don't want to hang out with people like you who are good for nothing, right? So the Pharisees, they were known for not just hang, not hanging out with people, but they were known for walking with their head face down because they didn't want to look at a woman to even have an impure thought. So commentary said that some Pharisees even had like bruises on their forehead because they'd run into walls not seeing it. And yet here's this Savior, the God in the flesh, who isn't just avoiding parties, he's the life of the party. How do I know? Because ch little children love to hang out with Jesus. Every time Jesus went somewhere, the party got better. It was never boring. Some of you need a revelation of party Jesus, not fart face Jesus. And I, I say that for real. Some of you, you ever go on an airplane and someone farts, and you're like, mm. that face you make when you don't know who did it, some of you, that's what you think of religious people. Like, they're angry in the corner, not having fun, angry at everyone else who's, like, drinking and having a good time. Jesus was the life of the party. And people, sinners love to be around Jesus. They felt safe around him. They felt loved by him. And he went to these parties not to party with them, but to love them. And some of you need a, a fresh revelation, not from social media and TikTok, but from the word of God and who Jesus is. Amen? And it continues, and it says, When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does it have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. <laughs> and I, I love this story because there's this urgency that Jesus' mother has that we probably don't understand in our culture. Because we don't live in a shame and honor culture. I'm, I'm, I, can't, I don't know if you can tell. I'm Middle Eastern, I have a beard, I'm ridiculously good-looking. We, we have shame and honor culture. Shame and honor culture is, is very different than American culture. Let me, let me give you an example. This literally happened in my house. I'm 10 years old, playing video games, and my mom goes, comes in the room, Allie, press pause. Yes, mom, what's up? The cleaners are coming tomorrow. Cool. Go back to the No. What, mom? I need you to clean your room. I, I thought you just told me the cleaners are coming. We can't let them know how dirty our house is. Clean your room. Because in shame and honor culture, you can't look bad in front of other people. And if this couple runs out of wine, they will be shamed. And Jesus' mother knows the urgency that, man, if this couple is, they will be known, they will be remembered, they will forever be the couple that ran out of wine, and she's trying to help them. And this is a prophetic statement of who Jesus is and what he does. Some of you don't know the totality of who Jesus is. He did not just come to die for your sin. He came to take away your shame. In the Old Testament, they, the, the Yom Kippur was the Day of Atonement. The high priest, he would take two goats, 
And the first goat, they would lay their hands on it because the wage of sin is death. What is sin for those of you who are new? Sin is disobedience towards God and selfishness towards other people. It's not just the bad that we do, it's the good that we did not do. And so the high priest, he'd lay his hands on the, on, the, on the goat, and he'd begin to confess their sin. God, we did this. We did this. These are the good we should have done, but we didn't. And then they would slice the throat of the goat, and they would die in their place. God was teaching his people substitutionary atonement. This is why Jesus called the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin. He didn't come to give us a book. He didn't come to give us a religion. He came to die on a cross for our sin. He came to die in our place. But there was a second goat, and the high priest would lay hands on that one. And he'd say, God, take away our shame. God, take away our, our guilt. And they'd release the goat into the wild, prophetically declaring that God's taking away our shame. And, and Jesus is both goats. He's not just the God who dies for you. He's the, goat, he's the God who takes away your shame. And what's so crazy is that fear is actually a secondary emotion. The deep emotion, the deeper emotion under fear is this. Should not be foro, should be sorrow. It's the shame of running out. Some of you, it's, it's the shame associated with not being married. It's the shame associated with, with losing your career, filing for bankruptcy, having a miscarriage, trying to have a kid and not having it. It's not fear that drives you, it's shame. That's why in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25 says, Adam and Eve were naked and unafraid and they had no shame. Why does God say they had no shame? Because we're, we're, we're driven by shame. We, we live in a shame and honor culture. And Jesus is trying to help this couple. He doesn't just come to die. He's prophetically declaring his first miracle in the book of John is I came to remove your shame. Anybody grateful for Jesus removing our shame? And I love that he says, woman, what does it have to do with me? It's so easy to be like, man, the way Jesus is talking to his mom just sounds rude. This is what's called a cultural idiom. Imagine if I threw a football and be like, heads up. You wouldn't stick your head up. You would do what? You would duck. So when you translate heads up in another language, it won't make sense. But Americans, we understand, oh, heads up means do this. When Jesus says woman, he's giving her honor. It, it sounds like he's like, woman, go back to the kitchen. <laughs> but he's not doing that. And I, I just need to pause for a moment. Some of you came from a church where women can't be pastors. Women can't be leaders. Not in this church. Jesus honored women, and that's why it's not Pastor Ali. It's Pastor Ali and Pastor Yasmin. And let me just declare one day we're going to have multiple occasions. We're going to have multiple campus pastors. And some of them, let me tell you, will be women. Get ready for it. And, and, and it continues. And it says, my hour has not yet come. But then Jesus' mom, she just, I just need to pause and tell you this. She gives us a leadership principle that is like solid gold. I, I, I'm a book nerd. I read a ton of books. I'm almost afraid of telling my books I read. I read like on average, 10 books a month. That's impossible. I do it. I'm a nerd. I don't watch TV. <laughs> I've been doing that for like five years now. I just feel this pressure to lead this church. I need to not just grow theologically, but leadership-wise. If, if I could take all the books that I've read and give you one principle, Mary, her principle that she's about to give here is the greatest leadership principle is this. Listen to Jesus. Do what he says. You want your marriage to change? Listen to Jesus. Do what he says. You want your finances to change? Listen to Jesus. Do what he says. Do you want to be a better employee? Do you want to know how to run a business? Listen to Jesus. Do what he says. The Bible is the only book, let me tell you, that when you read it, the author is present with you. Because wow. he's living and active, and he wants to speak. Our God's a speaking God. Yeah. And he wants to talk to you. And if you want your life to change, listen to Jesus and do what he says. And then it continues. John chapter 2, verse 6, it says, Now there were six water jars there for the Jewish rite of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And I brought an illustration to show you what this looks like. It says that there's 20 to 30. Some of them are 20, some are 30. Let's just do math. Let's say three of them are 20 and three of them are 60 or 30. How much is that? Anyone do math? One, thank you. Some the rest of us went to public school. We need a calculator. Thank you for Ethan saying that. Let me show you what 150 looks like. This is our baptism tub. And guess how many gallons of water this thing holds? 150. That's what 150 gallons looks like. 
Now what's crazy is, the question is, how, many, how much wine does this thing produce? If we were to fill this to the brim, depending on the, wa- the, the wine glass, the size, 800 to 900 glasses, bottles of wine. Bottles of wine. Party Jesus, not fart-faith Jesus, I'm telling you. And so our mind, we're 21st century Christians. We go, okay, Jesus, do you know how long it takes to fill this thing up? There's a team of people, that baptism team, they, they, they grab a hose and they spend an hour, an hour on baptism Sundays. They got to fill this thing up. There was no water in the first century. There's no Cana Water Company, let alone San Jose Water Company. Pastor Ali, how'd they fill it up? There was a well in the backyard. No, bro. Center of the city. Imagine. Like a bunch of savages. You had to leave your house. This is going to be a fun illustration. I'm going to walk around the room. You know, like walk around the room with empty, whoa, that was weird, water bottles. And you'd walk around. Imagine if I'm walking to a Keys with empty jugs. I'm like, what, what the heck is Jesus doing? Why is he asking me to do this? And you, you'd walk to the well, and then you'd spend another five minutes walking back. You have two gallons, and then you dump it. And if it was just me, I got to do that 80 times. If there's two of us, we got to do that 40 times. How long would it take for me to walk to a Keys and back? 80 times. The reason why I point this out, this is not 15 minutes of work. This is not even one hour. This is like three or four hours of work. Let me tell you why that's significant. Jesus has never done a miracle yet. You don't know what he's capable of. Here's this crazy dude saying he's God, telling you to, why? You go fill it up. What do you mean me fill it up? And I wonder how many of you in this room, would you obey Jesus when he doesn't make sense? Would you obey him when you have agreement or when you, you will just blindly obey him? I think sometimes we, we want to understand why Jesus is asking us to do that. I, I don't agree with that. My friends don't do that. All my friends live with their girlfriend, Pastor Allie. What do you mean don't live with her? Would you obey Jesus even when it doesn't make sense? And so often, this is what God wants your faith to be built on. Your focus is built on him and what he says. Because if you listen to Jesus and do what he says, your life will change. And the only way God can remove foro, which is the fear of running out, he doesn't do a miracle. He has to give you a sign. He has to let that thing run out. And it's the process. It's it's obeying him that's going to change you. I want to give you three principles this morning about why faith should be your focus. You ready? If you want to take notes in church, you want to write this down. If you're not taking notes in church, you want to write this down. The process is the purpose. Amen, that's a good word. I'm trying. Imagine being told to do something for three hours and not being told why. If pain is your focus, you're going to stop. If your comfort's your focus, you're gonna, if your calendar is your, I don't have time for this, Jesus. I got better things to do. How many of us would complain the entire time Jesus is telling us to do this? The moment we, we're inconvenienced, the moment we're suffering, the moment we feel any pain, most of us, if we're honest, we would stop. But God has purpose in the pain. The pressure has a purpose. The pain has a point. Why? Because God wants to change your character, not your circumstance. If he gives you a miracle, you don't change. If he gives you a sign, though, your heart changes about who he is. I wrote down like this. Maybe this will challenge some of you. If faith doesn't make you uncomfortable, you're probably not following Jesus. When's the last time Jesus asked you to do something and you're like, no. If you only do the things that Jesus tells you to do and you agree with him, that list is going to be very small. But you change. Not when you agree to Jesus, but when you do it blindly. God wants to change you. God wants to transform you and if you, for many of you in this room, the reason you're not growing is because you've regulated Christianity to a spectator sport. You're going to watch other people obey him, but you don't want to obey him. Wow. And there's something about the process of faith that's meant to stretch you. Anybody in here love oysters? I love oysters. My wife, is she's shellfish. She's allergic. So anytime we go anywhere, she has to bring Benadryl. I love oysters, especially a little bit of Tabasco sauce and lemon juice. Mm, very good. But oysters don't just taste good, they make good things. They make pearls. But most people don't realize the process of how a pearl is made. 
a foreign substance has to go inside the, the shell of the oyster. Typically, it's a piece of sand. Sometimes, it's more often than not, it's a piece of food that's just floating through the ocean. And it's an irritant to the oyster. It bothers the oyster. It hurts the oyster. The oyster is an annoyed. So the oyster releases this, this, this fluid to cover the substance that's hurting it. Imagine the oyster says, I don't want to do this anymore. This is annoying. This is tiring me out. I don't want, the pearl would never be made. But because the pearl doesn't stop, it goes through a process that has a purpose. Pearls are made. Let me say it this way. God wants pearls. And it's the process of making you uncomfortable that allows the pearls to be made. I wrote down like this. Maybe your faith doesn't have pearls because your faith can't handle pain. I know it's hard to hear that. I'm trying to challenge some of you. But God, when faith is your focus, someone say faith. He's going to ask you to do things that don't make sense. Imagine being one of these disciples. And he's asking you to fill up this water jug. That's 150 gallons. And there's no hose. Would you obey him? Or would faith be your focus? Let me tell you two things about this. How this changes us for us organizationally. Let me tell you how this changes for you individually. Organizationally, let me tell you. Someone say, by faith. By faith, by faith we show up at 730 with two trucks that are 25-foot 25 25-foot trailers. You know what we do? We pull out 20 cases. Someone say, by faith. By we faith. build a stage that's not easy. Someone say, by faith. We build a sign, lights, TV. This room is just four walls when, before you enter. But by faith, someone say, by faith. by faith. We create a room where God isn't just studied, but he's experienced. Let me read this to you. We prepare in advance for growth that only God can bring. By creating environments where God isn't merely studied, but experienced. When faith is your focus, you trust God by the power of the Holy Spirit to transform people, families, and communities. We will continually have a willingness to look foolish to make God famous. All of this hard work is not so that I can alone worship and experience the presence of God with my family, but that those far from God, those that far from God who, who can encounter the God who saved me, redeemed me, transformed me, and listen, who removed my shame. That's the first reason. The second reason is my faith needs this. My character needs this. Because there's a process of building a stage that I don't want to build. Why are we doing this every single week? When faith is your focus, you realize the process is meant to change. God wants pearls. Let me tell you how this changes your life individually. There's some of you in this room, as a follower of Jesus, you're going to, for the very first time, you're going to share your faith. Because fear of rejection is no longer going to grip you. But the process of changing your faith is going to, sharing your faith and not being the one who's going to convert the person. You just sharing your faith, you're not going to fear anymore. There's a process that God wants to use to change you. He doesn't remove fear. You step out in faith and obey him in spite of the fear. Some of you in this room, you're going to give to God for the very first time. Because you're, you're not going to, your focus isn't on the fear of running out, but you're going to trust God in the process of giving him your finances. There's some of you in this room, you're going to step out and get baptized for the very first time. Because you're not going to worry about the shame of am I ready. Because you're never ready. But when you step out by faith, the process changes you. Some of you in this room, you're going to serve for the very first time, even though you work at Apple, Facebook, and Google. That one hour where you help God reach people who are far from him is the best hour of your week. But you'll never know that until you step out by faith. Someone say, by faith. Some of you in this room, you're going to start businesses, and you don't know if it's going to succeed or fail, but the fear of failing, the fear of running out of resources isn't going to imprison you anymore. You heard Jesus. It's time to listen. When faith is your focus, listen, you got to realize the process is uncomfortable, but it has purpose. Number two, you guys ready for this one? John chapter two, and they, and they filled them up to the brim. So imagine three hours later, these, these servants fill this up and they're looking in and they're like, why does this rabbi have me fill this thing up with water? And look what the text says. And then he, he being Jesus said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And this next sentence, so they took it. Imagine the faith that you need to do that. I have a serving jar. Imagine there's wine in here. Imagine you're sweating. Water's dripping down places I can't even mention in church, right? <laughs> and you grab some water, and this crazy rabbi tells you to take 
walk. He doesn't even tell you the process. He just says, obey me. He says, take the water to the bridegroom. It doesn't change in here. It changed on the process of them saying, okay, I'm going to obey regardless. And watch what it says. So they took it. And when the master of feast tasted the water, now become wine. Someone say now. now. It changed when they were walking. After they obeyed. Point number two is this. When faith is your focus, small obedience makes a big difference. Small. The small thing is the big thing. We want God, God, use me. Will you, will you lie on your taxes? Will you fudge your resume to get skills that you don't have because all your other friends are using it? Do you really want God to use you? It's more important to be honest. Will you do the small thing? Because it's always the small obedience that opens the door to the extraordinary. So many people, they don't realize... You don't need God to provide if, if you're stealing and lying your way to the top. Wow. But when you allow your greatest fear to happen, God, I, I can't sell enough products. God, I, I, I can't produce this. I can't have enough creative. When you hit rock bottom and God shows up, that's when you have a revelation that he's the God that provides. Some of you don't need God because you provide for yourself. And the only way you get a, a revelation of who God is is not by coming to church it's when you obey him even when it doesn't make sense. It's always, listen, the small thing, not the big thing. I love that. Imagine these disciples. Imagine first you're tired, and now you're probably embarrassed. Everyone's going to laugh at me. Everyone's going to make fun of me. Imagine the, the pull to quit. It's at this point when you're obeying Jesus and you're not seeing the fruit of it that you want to walk away. And I wrote down like this, what, what frustrates you about God that should excite you? Is it serving? Is it giving? Is it loving your, your kids when you want to put them up for adoption, you know? <laughs> Sometimes we have baby dedications that just leave their kids here, and I'm giving them to you, right? <laughs> but I wrote down like this, what God meant for good, your enemy will use the lack of transformation and will use it to pull you away from God. Uh, instead of believing by faith that God's going to use you for a miracle, the enemy makes you feel used. Instead of getting excited about what God's about to do, you're, you get frustrated that nothing's happened and you're wondering why you stepped out in the first place. Instead of realizing that the process is meant for intimacy with your creator, it becomes a vehicle separating you from him. What frustrates you about God that should excite you? And the real question is this, what has God placed in your hands right now that he wants you to obey? It's a small thing. Is it the job that you don't like, the family you didn't want, the kids you're tired of raising, the volunteer role at church that you think is beneath you? You want the big thing. God wants obedience in the small thing. Wow. When you're faithful with the little, then God makes you faithful with the much. I wonder if these servants looked at the water and said, I'm not going. Would the water have ever turned to wine? I want to ask you the question again. What frustrates you about God that should actually excite you? See, when I read this story this last week, I was so frustrated. I'm like, I, I, I'm being honest. I would never, I would never do what these dudes did. And I know this room was full of people that hear, you want me to do what for three hours and do what with water? Never. And what it reveals is I actually don't know who Jesus is. And the, and the areas that you are most dishonest is because you have the least amount of faith that God will provide in that area. God, if you look at the Bible, does crazy things with water. Let me read this to you. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says that God, the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the water. Someone shout waters. In, in, in the book of Exodus, God brought the, the Egyptians, the Israelites out of the Egyptian stronghold, and Moses came to the, the Red Sea, and he separated the water. Someone say waters. And in the book of Joshua, Joshua, he's the leader after Moses. He doesn't stand on dry ground. He has to go into the water, and then God separates the water. Someone say waters. Wow. In the book of First and Second Kings, there's a prophet named Elijah, and he's the, the kingdom of Israel is outnumbered 10 to 1. And Elijah says, you want to win this war? Dig ditches in this valley, and in the morning, God will fill up with water. Someone say waters. Wow. When you know the character of God, water should excite you. 
But when you don't know him, it frustrates you. My question is, what frustrates you about God right now in this season of your life? And it reveals, I wrote down like this, maybe your frustration has less to do with what God asked you to do. And it reveals more with how little you know him. And your lack of obedience in that area is because you're focused on the thing, the lack, the resume, the job, the spouse who isn't there when your focus should be on him. The God that can provide. The God that can take water. After I realized what God does with water, man, I would have been like, wait until what God does with this glass of water. Some of you, you get so frustrated obeying God when you should be skipping. God's going to take my obedience and do a miracle with it. Number three, when faith is your focus, you realize the miracle is already in the house. There was a, there was a, five months before we started, I, I was at a coffee shop in, on the Alameda. I think it was called Crema Coffee. And I was, had my Bible out, and on top of my Bible was a leadership book. And this gentleman walks by and goes, are you reading that book? And usually, Silicon Valley is super unchurched. I thought he was going to yell at me for being a Christian. I was like, yes, kind of like weary. And he's like, I love leadership books, especially that one. And we just started having a conversation. And I realized this guy had just moved to San Jose from Washington, and he was part of a church plant that went from 50 to 1,000. You know those, in our culture, red flags, red flags? The green flags were going up. I'm like, bro, (laughs) you need to join our church. Like, today, bro. And he was talking about how he had just moved to this valley, and he wants it, looking for a church. I'm like, I have one for you, bro. Come on. And we, start, we spent an hour. We, we met two or three times. In the end, he never came to our church. And I'm being honest, I was heartbroken. I'm like, God, I looked at all the people that we had on our team. I'm like, this guy's leadership far surpassed anyone we had. I'm like, God, how are we going to do what we're supposed to do? if you don't allow guys like him to join us. And remember, God's so powerfully saying, everything that you need to reach this community is or you already have. It's that phrase, the miracle is already in the house. But I didn't see what God saw. And I had to close my eyes and say, Jesus, show me what you see. Because when I looked at the team, when I saw the people, we were lacking. Some of them are in this room right now. And I want to brag about them for a moment. There was a 17-year-old girl who never stopped smiling. I wonder if she was on drugs. Her name is Daisy. She's in the room. Didn't even know you were going to be here, Daisy. I love you. I spoke at a youth, a church, a youth event. Several people joined our church. This little 17-year-old girl. I'm like, what am I going to do with a 17-year-old whose mom does her laundry? Come on. This girl invited more people to our church than almost anyone else on our team. She invited her her sister, Elizabeth, her cousin, Mari. These are all leaders in our church today because I didn't see what God saw. And God wanted to show me, you already have everything that you need. The miracle, someone say the miracle was already in the house. Then there was a dude named Will. He was the third person I invited to join this church. Him and his wife, Robin, they're in Texas, God bless them. It's a different country. And he's like, Pastor Ali, why should I join? I don't read my Bible. I don't go to church. I'm the least likely person. I don't even know if I half believed it. I said, bro, we need you. I don't even know if I believed it. I just said it. This guy invited 180 of his coworkers because he worked at UPS. He put in the visor of 180 cars because he, he would pack the cars at UPS at night so the drivers in the morning could come. 30 of his coworkers came on our grand opening. Two of them got saved. Nancy, if you're watching online, we love you. Come on. The miracle was already in the house. One of my favorite people is a girl named Mari. Everybody love Mari. She's a homesick. She she was the, the cousin of the girl named Daisy. And she came almost within a month, this girl got saved. And she started bringing her husband. And I always know when the husband doesn't want to be there because it's just like this talk about it. He's in the room. I, can, I don't make eye contact. <laughs> you just fast forward four or five months on Easter 2018. They're both getting baptized and serving. Now this girl leads our entire welcome team. 
Anytime someone joins our church, guess who trains them on how we do church? Mari. The miracle was already in the house. One more. I love this one. Everyone, just give it up for this guy, Andy. Anyone know Andy? Come on. Some of you don't know. The first time he came to our church, his, his now wife, but then girlfriend, or I should say his, his, now, his ex-girlfriend, because now she's his wife, was in Mexico. And he came to church, and he, was a, he almost walked away. And Dago, Mari's husband, grabs him and says, come back. And it's crazy to me that this guy who was afraid to come to church is now leading the welcome team welcoming people who are afraid to come to church because the miracle was already in the house in this story god doesn't use water that they didn't have he doesn't use the jugs they didn't have he took the broken the things that no one they they were empty for a reason because no one saw value in them but god said i can do something with that and I wonder if the person next to you, you, you dismiss them because you see them through your eyes and you don't see them through God's eyes. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're the miracle in this house. Now, because we're in church and you abandon and forsake the person to your left, now tell them to because they need to hear it. I want to read this last verse to you. It's so powerful. When the master of the feast tastes the water, now become wine. And did not know where it came from. He, he tasted the product, but he didn't understand the process. He, only the people who served knew where the miracle came from. That's what churches sometimes. You can come and you can sip the wine, the sermon, the, the worship that we prepare for you. And it's a good, it's a good sermon. It's a good worship. And you'll enjoy it. But you'll never know what it took to, to create that. Just sipping. You want, you want to know who knows what God's doing on the earth? It's those who serve, not those who sip. And everyone serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first sign. Someone say sign. sign. Jesus did it, Canaan and Galilee. God wants to remove your furrow, your fear of running out. But he has to allow it to run out to show you that he's the God that provides you bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you do. God, you're the God that doesn't just heal us. You're the God that provides for us. God, there are people in this room that have real fear of running out, running out of time, running out of an opportunity to get married, running out of maybe biological reasons to have a child. There's real fear in this room, God. God, teach us not to focus on our lack and our resources, but to make faith our focus. God, show us that faith is seeing things your way. So grateful, God, that you came and you didn't give us a miracle in the story. You gave us a sign that you're the God that provides. We need it, Jesus. God, help us overcome our fear and place our faith and trust in you. May we listen to Jesus' mom. May we listen to you, Jesus, and do what you say. I pray for every person in this room that can hear the sound of my voice that's overwhelmed with fear and shame and stepping out and doing what they're called to do. God will resource you. God will provide for you. He would not give you that dream unless he was going to provide a way as well. You don't need to kick doors down. God will open the doors for you. I want to prophetically declare to everyone in this room who's, who's maybe their career is dead or maybe their, their marriage is dead or, or maybe their, their finances are broken. God's the one who can heal. He's the one who can restore. He's the one that can resurrect. That's why he came. He didn't just come to die for our sin. He came to take our shame away. There's some of you in this room that Today is going to be the day you place your faith in Jesus. Today is going to be the day you cross the line of faith saying, I want to place my faith in Jesus. I want to listen to Jesus and do what he says. That's you this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed. And you want to start a relationship with Jesus, the living God. On the count of three, I want you to shoot your hand up. I just want to let you know you're not saying yes to me. 
not saying yes to this church. You're saying yes to the living God. His name is Jesus. One, two, three. Would you shoot your hand up if that's you this morning? Just pray this prayer in your heart. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven, not just to die for me, but to take away my shame. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on a cross for my sins, for my mistakes. I repent. I turn from my ways, and I come towards you. As much as I understand, I place my hope, I place my faith in you. Thank you for forgiving. Can we give it up for the hands that went up? Come on. You guys can stand. I want to pray for our offering. And worship is not just the songs that we sing. And we're going to sing one more song as a church. And thank God that he's the God that died for us and removes our shame. Amen. But so much of what we do as a faith community is, is because of your generosity. And uh, we're going to talk about it more next week. But I just want to celebrate that every year we want to become more and more generous as a church. And the first year of our church, we gave away $5,000. The second year was, was fifteen. Last year we gave away 21. And I want to wow. give wow. you a little preview of what we're going to talk about at Vision Builders God to invite you to come. We gave away $35,000 this last year. Wow. Come on. Wow. We, we gave to four church plants, and one of them launched two weeks ago in Acadia, California, near Reading. They had over 150 people, multiple people received Christ. Wow. They have a, a brand new 16 foot trailer because of you guys. Uh, let me just pray for the offering and thank Jesus by faith because yeah. it's our focus. Thank you, Jesus, that every good and perfect gift comes from you, comes from above. Thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to lie and steal and cheat our way, God. Promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. It comes from you, yeah. Lord. Yeah. And God, in those areas where I'm afraid to obey you, give me a revelation that you will provide. And if you believe that, everybody said... Hey, thank you so much for listening today. If you want to follow us on social media and just stay up to our current events, our social media handle is Bold Church SV. That's Bold Church SV for Silicon Valley. We hope you stay blessed and we'll see you soon.